Welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where myself, Ash, and my co-host, Lore, have a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. In today's episode, Anti-Semitism and Eating Disorder Treatment, we will be kvetching about how eating disorder treatment can sometimes be uncomfortable and or unsafe for Jewish individuals because of anti-Semitism that we might experience in treatment spaces, individually or on a structural level. We have an incredible guest joining us, and of course, we can't wait to hear if anyone else out there has some comments or experiences to share when we reach the open call portion of the pod. And a constant warning, this topic may lend itself to some triggering information, so please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break or sit this one out if you need to. For audio. Hmm? We lost your audio for a minute there. Okay. So I just want to reiterate the content warning um, <laughs> that this topic may lend itself to some triggering information and to please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need to. For those, I don't know whether it was on my end or Ash's mic, but it's always important just to reiterate that content warning. And as always, please remember that this podcast does not take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider, and to please reach out to professionals if you need support. I am noting, um, before we get into the jingle, that we do already have a caller excited to join, um, and we will be accepting callers when we reach the open call portion of the pod. But we see you. And can you hear me all right now, Laura? Yes, I can. All right, let's get that jingle going. I think I'm saying a little bit in there. <laughs> Can't help <do> myself. <laughs> so hello there. My name is Ash. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist. I specialize in the Jewish community and weight stigma, and I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. I'm she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. So with that, let's dive in. Ash, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm really excited to get Lucy on and also, of course, to hear from anybody else. Uh, who may have something to share in this area. I definitely, like last time, really want lived experience to be centered as much as possible. Um, so I'm just really excited to hear what everyone has to say. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling the same. This is definitely an area in which I hold lived experience. So I've been you know, looking forward to having this conversation since we first conceptualized it. And I know that you and I have discussed our ongoing commitment to um, centering lived experience in this um, in this ongoing podcast and project, and have made it a point to be really intentional with um, you know just who we who we invite on to talk about different things. And you know, this is always an open call situation, but um, I think we we really have been doing our best to center lived experience, and I'm just thankful to have partner who's committed to 
centering that in the work that we're doing together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And noting that this could be like a challenging topic for me to, to speak about. Honestly, I am also so excited to have Lucy coming on today because um, in a lot of ways, some posts from Lucy's Instagram and um, different passages from her book, which we will talk about, um, prompted a lot of reflection for me, not even having realized that this very place that helped save my life, the eating disorder um, residential treatment center in which I was a patient, um, also did not center or celebrate my Jewishness as a part of my recovery. So um, definitely excited to have Lucy's voice in this conversation as well. And honestly, I am comfortable to bring her on right now if you are. Yeah, I think that would be great. And, you know, just so everybody else who's listening knows, um, we'll have Lucy on and we'll have a portion where it's just the three of us. And then hopefully we'll be able to open it up to everybody else who'd like to call in. All right. All right. You want to introduce uh, Lucy Lore and then we'll bring her on to introduce herself? Absolutely. So our guest tonight, Lucy Waldman, is a self-published author of a book called The Jots of Becoming, which features her narratives and insights after fully recovering from anorexia nervosa and includes multiple Jewish excerpts. She is donating 20% of the proceeds of selling her book to Project Heal as one of their ambassadors. I am also a Project Heal ambassador, so we do share that commitment to the incredible equity work they're doing surrounding eating disorders. Lucy runs an eating disorder recovery awareness and support account on Instagram called at living.as.lucy. Lucy enjoys speaking about the intersection between Judaism and mental health and equity in the treatment setting after her own experiences. And Lucy aims to become an eating disorder therapist and one day open her own treatment center. So Lucy, if you want to hop on the call and introduce yourself and highlight anything I missed or anything you want to call attention to. Hi, yes. Um, one thing, I, I'm Lucy. I use she, her pronouns. And one thing I'm excited to add is I, I'm about to get my recovery coaching license. Mm. And I'm excited to especially work with Jewish clients and i've been doing some work recently in a jewish camp space mm. on eating disorders amazing that's awesome wow thank you for sharing that with us we're like <laughs> um as we record these episodes ash and i stay on a video call um and it's always fun to see each other's reactions to things and you were like i gotta I'm so close to getting my recovery coach license. And we both were like, hey, so uh, we're so excited for you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. I am in very light of this podcast. I saw as soon as I saw the holiday information come out, we were supposed to use for um, coaches. Mm. I sent the person who runs the coaching program. Here are some Jewish ones. Yes. I was like, these only include like Christian holidays, for lack of better words. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that takes us right into one of the um, discussion themes that Ash and I really wanted to talk about tonight. 
um, which is, I think you just hit the nail on the head that so often in treatment centers, um, there just isn't acknowledgement of holidays outside of, we'll call it winter stuff, that Thanksgiving to New Year's stretch. And there might be a subtle nod to Hanukkah in there, um, but the centering of the treatment experience surrounding holidays, which holidays can be so, so hard for people with eating disorders, um, is surrounding Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and then often Easter enters the chat. I was in a residential stay actually from October to January. So I got all of the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. And it was very interesting for me because it was the first time ever like decorating a tree or having Mm -hmm. some exposure to those traditions that were very much centered. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my facility manager told me that if they want, I wanted to, they could have a, a Hanukkah for me, but that was it. And it was sort mm-hmm. of like a very odd comment to me that a Hanukkah is like only for you and like to make you comfortable. But it wasn't about centering the experience. If it was about centering the experience, it would be a communal thing because you light the mm-hmm. Hanukkah together. Like it's, I mean, obviously if, if you don't have family around, you can light it alone. I'm not saying you can't, but like Jewish holidays are ones that, that are, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but for us, it was always about like doing it together as a family. We used to like take turns mm-hmm. and take, you know, who, who lights the shamash and who does the really pretty menorah that looks like the streets of Jerusalem and who gets the metal one that's less pretty? Like, it's, <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Yeah, so it was like that for us. My mom collected Hanukkah growing up. So we would oh. literally pick out which one we wanted to like that night. And since there were four of us in the family, we each got two nights. Right. Yep. No, I mean, it's not dissimilar my lived experience isn't dissimilar to either of yours and it's just so interesting to me as I'm thinking about this like already Lucy I heard you say that um you had exposure to and participated in decorating a Christmas tree for the first time in treatment and then what I'm sure it could sound on the surface to many people like oh well like they tried to accommodate her like they offered her a Hanukkah like that's what they've got to do but we're talking about centering highlights honoring um just people's lived experiences which includes religious holidays and I think it's a larger conversation about whether treatment really does honor religious holidays for patients that are happening while they are doing life-changing and in many cases life-saving self-work that is so so difficult so much of that can be tied to faith if that's um something that you hold true there are literally treatment models centered around faith the 12-step model for addiction is centered around a higher power so it's just and that doesn't have to be a religious higher power but for so many so an interesting thing i mean i when i was in treatment i was there over the span of several months and jewish 
holidays that passed for me and my time in a residential eating disorder treatment center. But I do think it's a larger conversation um, that expands beyond food, though food is definitely a huge part of it. I think it's about how all of this ties together for the recovering eating disorder patient. I definitely think it is such a larger conversation because when I started thinking about it, even the layout and structure of treatment is based in the Sunday as a rest day. And Mm -hmm. if you were to go, I realized if you were to go to synagogue on Saturday, you'd be missing pretty much a whole Mm -hmm. day of treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are no groups on Sunday. So people, I remember one of the centers I went to, there was actually time, like an allotted time, where they called it a spiritual outing, where they picked mm. a church every week and went. And I mm. pointed out, is it really a spiritual outing if you're only going to churches? But then they, Derek, you could go to a temple if you wanted to. Do we just, don't, but it's a voting system. So. Yeah. <laughs> And that's something we we wrote that down in our discussion themes, being the only Jew in the treatment center. Like that was me. I was yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, if you get one vote and you're the only one that wants to go to the synagogue, you're not fucking going. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. exactly. Right. No, and I mean I had that experience for sure. I got much closer to and connected to um the religious part of my understanding of Judaism post-treatment. Um, and it wasn't a huge part of my, um, the frame I would think of myself of my treatment at the time. But I noticed the same thing is that um, Sunday was the rest day. A group of people went to church. Um, it was never offered for me to go to synagogue. I brought it up once. They said, oh, we'll have to look into that. They were just like fully unprepared for the request. Um, Mm. And it, I just, and I also know that there are ministers that in addition to holding Sunday as a rest day, do hold groups on the Jewish rest day. They hold required groups, like required group therapy or activities on Saturdays. Um, and that is a design choice, I think tells me a lot about the space that is or isn't made for Jews within eating disorder treatment. And just on my end, can you hear me, everybody? Yeah. I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Audio was cutting out a little bit, but I think what you were saying, Laura, was that, um, the, there are mandatory groups on Saturdays, which Mm -hmm. is during Mm -hmm. Shabbat, obviously. Um, and so you either a can't go because you observe Shabbat and so you can't go or B Mm -hmm. you're at services. So you can't go or C you don't observe, I guess, for this portion of your life in which you're trying to heal from a really horrible mental illness. When quite frankly, I would argue during that time, you need as much support, cultural, familial, communal as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to reiterate that because I think it, it no, was really I important. No, I didn't realize my audio was cutting out. Please feel free if that's happening to just let me know in real time. Yeah, I appreciate I it. 
I couldn't tell at first if it was on my end, but I, I think it, it was cutting out a little bit. But I think you're back, so I think we're all right. Excellent. So I'm sorry. Any any thoughts on that, Lucy? I'm sure it sounds like you experienced it firsthand. I definitely did. And it never even occurred to me, especially because I went to treatment in a completely different study to ask for that. But um, my Jewish like identity wasn't as much of a factor when I was in treatment, especially because when there were two Jewish clients in the milieu, if one was a little bit more observant than the other, it was like almost thought of like you were the less Jewish one and the other one was like the more Jewish one. Mm-hmm. Especially because I didn't grow up keeping all the kosher laws. Mm-hmm. So, and the other person did. So they're like, oh, so she's more Jewish than you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and not exactly. Well, I mean, exactly. Oh my God. I um, have found the most affirming piece of my Jewish identity working at a camp. And mm-hmm. I think that's like its own branch of Judaism in itself because I think camp culture is very to me intertwined with Jewish culture and the reason I decided to speak about Judaism. Mm. I'm so glad. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, like one of the, I'm one of the only ones I feel like. I never went to Jew camp. Oh, I did go to Jew camp. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not admit out here. <laughs> um, but so what's, no, what's you know, Jewish Jew about it? Sorry? What's so Jewish about Jew? I mean, obviously, there's there's <laughs> songs in Hebrew, and I hear there are a lot of Israelis there, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the like laws of kashrut were kept at my camp, and like I didn't, okay. I didn't grow up um, like Lucy. I I didn't grow up in a kosher household. Um, I still do not personally observe the laws of kashrut, and can't imagine I personally ever will. Um, it's just not a part of my Jewish identity. Um, but, um, we also, we had Shabbat services. Um, we literally called Saturday a rest day. Like it Mm -hmm. it was just a, it definitely was a pretty core part of my Jewish identity in childhood. It definitely, for me, I agree with that. And Shabbat is, am I can, we're all white, which I know is a very classic Jewish camp thing. So it's just like this coming together as one community after being in separate workshops because we have it's like a specialty Jewish camp all week. Mm-hmm. And it's just taking the time on Shabbat. There's very low key activities, ones that don't involve technology, which is different than the activities during the week. We have Havdalah as a huge part of our camp. We start each morning off with a little service which is really cute. It's called Boker Big Bang. And it's very do like a little experiment and like say a prayer, like we're in, tied into science. And everyone like gets into it. And like a lot of the songs are in Hebrew and it's like mm-hmm. such a core part of the camp. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that part of like how you piece of your Jewish identity. I think that's really beautiful. Um, And something I noticed and heard you say and noticed kind of a connection to my own experience was that 
you know, neither of us, it sounds like in our time in a residential treatment setting, or I'm sorry, I actually don't know if you were in a residential treatment setting. It sounds like you were, were you in residential treatment, Lucy? I've been in residential and an inpatient. I've been in every level of care. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, for me, I was in a uh, residential setting for an extended period of time, and it sounds like neither of us really were um, as in touch with our Jewish identity, whatever you take that to mean, as we are today, um, and that we weren't necessarily holding as much space for that or hadn't explored it as much, um, mm-hmm. or just had a different understanding than we do now. And I wonder, and I'd love to ask you, Um, Because as I said before you came on, um, actually, it was an Instagram post of yours in the earlier days of having my page and pretty soon after you and I connected via Instagram um, that prompted my reflection about the anti-Semitism, just that was this thread running throughout my eating disorder treatment that I hadn't even picked up on necessarily in real time. you prompted that reflection for me. I would love to hear about how you started reflecting on that. Uh, I started reflecting on it pretty early on, just not because of like a growth and recovery, but when on my first day in residential treatment, um, there was a staff member who was running a group and we started talking about how numbers, like, are, I started talking about how numbers are such, like, an important thing to me. And I really see myself as a number. And he knew I was Jewish. But anyways, he decided to say, so like Hitler, and made a joke about the Holocaust. Oh, my God. Oh, my and I did not think that's where that was going. Wait, oh, my God. I, yeah, I was not I, that. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I was, I hadn't been there for like long enough where it didn't have an effect on the rest of my stay, but I had been there a decent amount of time. And I just, I told the facility manager right away. I always get like, oh, why didn't you report it? I did report it. Right. Of course. Nothing was done. Like they, they pretty much said I could have a confrontation with him in process group. Oh my god! Or I could have a therapy session with him. Right, Ash's Ash's reaction is coming as a therapist, and like I said, we can see each other. I am clutching my chest. <laughs> Ash's hand is over her face, like we are. We were both just oh in god. disbelief at what you said. She's reacting as a therapist. I'm reacting as a patient. Um, I. I would have been on the first flight out. Like I, oh my gosh! I am so no, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Drama, but I, it definitely had a big impact on my stay because I, um, and I was sort of blamed on me that I sabotaged my own treatment in terms of I wouldn't go to group with him for a while. Because, duh, because but, you duh. didn't, you weren't safe. I every time he was in a room I sat outside oh my goodness that is like non-compliance wow yeah and they were like you can't do this 
So let's let's stop for a second because everyone here knows, again, coming from a therapist perspective, eating disorders are trauma disorders. And what you just described is a group therapy session in a residential treatment center that is meant to treat trauma disorders that was actively perpetuating a trauma that you are experiencing in the context of treatment. Like what? And then was weaponized against you. Well, right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It then turned into pretty much what the center that I didn't want recovery enough because right. I went to one of that's where the reputation I got was just I was someone who was never going to get better. And I just, like, didn't like the staff. Yes, that was the issue. Like, right. It, it, <laughs> Surface it level. Me <laughs> and the staff. But I'm for a long time. I actually, one of my goals for going in to the treatment world, like, to be a therapist, was I wanted to work my way up and fire him myself. <laughs> I hope you do. I hope I like, you do, I want and to I believe ensure, you can. Yeah. I want to ensure this. Um, first of all, he was one of the only man working in a woman's residential facility, which is a whole other issue. But I was like, I want to make sure he never yeah. works with clients again. Mm-hmm. With good reason. I mean, I listen. I don't know how many non-Jews listen to this podcast. I I don't. Um, I hope that if even one is hearing that, like, our reactions may have seemed big. You should also be outraged that anyone would yeah. say that to anyone, that there is never, there there are no appropriate Holocaust jokes. And they are amplified that much further, as Ash said, in what is quite literally a trauma disorder treatment center, um, weaponizing intergenerational trauma in the form of a joke is Mm -hmm. impossible to find funny. If you do find it funny, you have bigger issues that need to be addressed that don't, this podcast isn't, isn't going to support Mm -hmm. you on that journey, but we wish you the best. This space probably isn't for you. None of the clients found it funny. One of them was actually her first day in the military. <sighs> her first day, her first group. Wow. She wasn't Jewish. But she um, she like pretty much was like, what kind of place did I come to? Type. Right. Right. Was- I can't imagine that being the tone on my first day of treatment. My goodness. <sighs> and I felt bad because I was, which I think is very typical of people with Eating disorders, I apologize to her. I was like, I'm mm. sorry, I caused a scene on your first day. Mm. Like, that wasn't fair to you. Oh, yeah. And that is so reflective. You just named that. That is so reflective of being someone with an eating disorder is the internalized shame that we hold for things that are not shameful and or our responsibility. Right. Uh, well, and it's it's not just an eating disorder thing. It's a Jewish thing, isn't it? There's that too. I uh, yes, it's definitely. I feel like almost like I'm sorry for taking up more space than I have yeah. to type of thing. Yeah. Mm. Well, and that's so much of of eating disorders, isn't it? Is apologizing for the space that we take up in this world, metaphorically, physically, emotionally. Mm. Wow, I'm. 
I'm just like noticing the different ways in which this conversation has like settled in my body. Like that I'm like noticing that I'm like holding tension in the way I tensed up um, for a recounting of an experience that I, I didn't experience. Um, and I just, I know I've said it a few times now, Lucy, but I am so unbelievably sorry that that happened to you. There is no concept of that being okay. I real, I think I normalized it for a long time just because I was mm. told I overreacted to it. And then when I started working with my therapist, who's incredible, she's not Jewish, but she, I love her and I trust her a lot. I started talking about it with her for the first time and realizing like, wow, like, and then I started reflecting on treatment as a whole and how anti-Semitism ex- shaped my experience. And I was like, this is a much deeper topic than I mm-hmm. ever thought. Well, I'd love if, if you're comfortable, Lucy, to really dive into that a little bit about not only like experiencing treatment or experiencing anti-Semitism in treatment, excuse me, but also the ways in which anti-Semitism may or may not have directly or indirectly led to the eating disorder itself and therefore why you're in the treatment center. And that is why, you know, again, reenacting that intergenerational trauma in that moment is so fucked up. I um, don't know where any of y'all grew up. I mm-hmm. live in a town called Virginia Beach. It's not, and it consists of like a few other cities around it, but it's not that Jewish. I was pretty much, I went to a pretty small synagogue and I was one of the only Jewish people in my grade all the way through school. So I was constantly like known as like the Jewish one because other than camp or youth group, there was in most spaces I was in, I was the only Jewish person. And it definitely affected me as, because I was known, like, to my friends as the Jewish friend. And, like, I was, like, exotic or different. And I I had a few, like, times I got really mad in history classes. I remember there was this time my senior year of high school where we spent time learning about the Holocaust. And someone said they wouldn't have left Germany because they would be too afraid to learn a new language. And I was struggling. I wasn't adjusting my eating disorder at the time. And I literally just like went off and on her in front of the entire class. And there was like, I, and I always like hated that. Like there were certain topics that were just like, I wasn't normally a very confrontational person, but would like completely send me through like the roof. Mm. A topic that we've touched on in other episodes, particularly our episode on existing Jewish online is this sort of very visceral feeling of responsibility to speak up as a Jew. Um, and to speak out and that that's a theme that is that is a theme in Judaism just across Jewish history of um you know that that rebuttal that you know that that need to prove who we are and that i think is amplified in 
I think your experience in school and as a former classroom teacher, this also just, I'm partially reacting from that space is like, uh, that was allowed to be said and had to be corrected by a student rather than a teacher. Um, but even on top of that, like something that consistently comes up and is, is, is just this Jews as marginalized people, not having allies who are like outraged for us. I'm not saying that there are not individual allies and that there, it's just, it is a theme that I think comes up time and time again and is reflected in everything we're talking about in your experience growing up, in your experience in this classroom, in your experience in eating disorder treatment, in my experience in eating disorder treatment, and the things that are allowed to be said and the harm that's allowed to be perpetuated because other people won't speak up. That even back in the situation in your treatment center where that therapist said that horrible, horrible thing, and you noted you know, the other patients didn't find it funny, um, but I reported it and nothing happened. Had other patients reported it on your behalf um, and expressed how deeply uncomfortable they were and demonstrated allyship in that way, which, again, it's not even fair that this is then incumbent on people who are going through, the the, I know it's the hardest work I've ever done. Yeah. And I just, ah, that's where my head is going. It's like, how, how much could happen if, um, if it wasn't always on the, the hurt or affected people to have to make the case for why they shouldn't have been hurt in that way. And I feel like that is something that's so hard that it's always on the person is it was a lot for me to, I remember at the time, we would go, like, we would walk out of group, go upstairs and report it. Mm-hmm. And then have to process it as my therapist the next day mm-hmm. and spend all session on it. And right. Right. Then it just took up. Right. It wasn't what you were there It took up so much of my time. Right. And. Like, just the ripples it had on it. It was especially, like, right before Thanksgiving. It was, like, the day or two before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. When, like, therapists and, like, the whole treatment team is out. Yeah. And I actually ended up in the ER on, like, a Friday after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. while I was in residential. And I think part of it was, like, after, like, he said that, I just, like... I had struggled so much to regulate again. Of course. Wow. Mm. I mean, you know, again, as a therapist in the eating disorder world and spaces, I hear horror stories every day about treatment centers. You know, they, they are not, they're not the best places to heal, you know, and it's difficult as a provider to, to hear that, but it's also like, we need an overhaul. Like we need, and and not just from the perspective of being Jewish and experiencing anti-Semitism. like this goes so beyond the Jewish experience. These treatment centers just are not doing their job. I totally agree with that. And 
it's not even um, like I saw this trend for a while where different treatment center um, like patient alum were making accounts called like blank center the truth or whatever. Uh-huh. But one thing I noticed is not just one center. No, that it's all of them. It's all mm-hmm. of them. It's all of them that it's like the same, almost the same thing could have happened at any of them. And then because I'm in this like false marketing to like, especially caregivers, that, that is somehow everything that's happened in there is the patient's fault. So yeah. then it never really gets mm-hmm. addressed or resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think what you both just said picks up on something so important that this is a larger issue throughout the mental health care system that isn't isolated to the Jewish experience. It's the minoritized experience in a majority health care system. And it expands beyond eating disorder treatment too. And it's, so scary to think about as someone who I've also been um, an inpatient or I've received inpatient care in a psychiatric setting, having nothing to do with um, my eating disorder that hadn't even emerged at that time. And I absolutely remember the jokes that were made about me being Jewish and I was the youngest on the unit and I didn't say or do anything about it. This isn't isolated to Jews and this isn't isolated to eating disorder treatment. This conversation is a start and an important one and one that I'm so grateful that we've been able to have together and that I'm so grateful that Lucy has taken the time and care to lend her voice to. I'm just it's like I've known how big an issue this is and I'm simultaneously processing it in real time. And that is heavy as someone who works in, who has worked in classrooms with particularly vulnerable and marginalized populations, knowing that this trickles to the education system, everything does. Um, Knowing that this trickles to the justice system, everything does. And um, someone who now I work in, mental health care in with schools. I work explicitly in suicide prevention and we talk about marginalized experiences and what, what care, what additional care needs to be in place to support highly marginalized people. And there's just so much to be done. And I am feeling a lot of overwhelm but conversations like this are an important start. They are an important start. Like I am definitely feeling the overwhelm as well. And I have felt this this week when I went to, I spoke at a Jewish camp seminar and Mm -hmm. every camp across the board is um, as their number one, like concern is rise in eating disorders at Jewish Mm -hmm. overnight camps. Mm. Not surprised. That when they ran the survey, they said, "What was the like number one mental health concern?" Wow. Well, I guess we're gonna have a follow up episode with you, Lucy, all about camp and eating disorders. Honestly, I would love that. (laughs) I would love that too, because it's like such a 
bigger issue and that I yeah, ever realized it's an issue on how it's put on forms. It's an issue on how my diet culture seeps throughout any space and camp isn't exclusionary to that. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable and, you know, talking about some, some pretty hard experiences. Um, you know, I'm sure that it sounds like you've processed a lot of it in therapy and it sounds like you have a great therapist and I'm very thankful for that, you know, on your behalf, but it is still hard to rehash it all. So um, thank you again. Uh, would you mind just letting everyone know where they can find your work and, you know, just giving people a little taste of what you're about? Yes, of course. You can find my book, The Jots of Becoming on Amazon. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at living.as.lucy. L-U-C-I-E. And um, my TikTok is the same handle. Thank you so much. Um, did you want to say anything more before we have Lucy hop off? I mean, all I can really say is just such a heartfelt thank you for the way in which you chose to use your voice with us tonight and the um, bravery with which you tell your story that... Um, there are a lot of, I think the reason we initially started chatting on Instagram is because I saw so many parallels in um, my journey with yours and the pieces you chose to share. And I was inspired by the way that you um, chose to use your voice. And I am continually inspired by the way you choose to use your voice. Um, Lucy's book is amazing, y'all. If Honestly, whether you are in eating disorder recovery or not, it is an inspiring collection of um, narratives and thoughts. And I encourage you, we'll include the link to her book in the notes for the show. Um, but Lucy, you are, you're an inspiration, you're a marvel, and the way you use your <laughs> voice is incredible. And I thank you for sharing that with us tonight. Thank you. And um, it means so much, especially coming from both of you. Thank you. All right. Uh, Have a great night, Lucy. Thank you again. You too. Wow. How are you feeling, Laura? Seen, I think is the word that comes to mind, which is beautiful and tragic simultaneously. (laughs) I I wish that, right, I wish that this um, experience of eating of anti-Semitism in eating disorder treatment and in the larger mental health care system was not something anyone could relate to. I wish I went through this, these feelings by myself (laughs) and um, at the same, it's relieving to know that I'm not alone in processing that and that there are partners in this work. There are people like Lucy who are going to, um, hopefully go on and fire that guy. Like we're going to work their way up through what they've experienced. Um, it's just a deep shame that anyone should have to. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, thank you for joining us today on Confetching on the Couch. It was a bit of a heavy episode, so I hope that you will all take some time to take care of yourself, take some deep breaths, listen to some great music, get some fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as always, we hope that this conversation was at the very least validating for those of you listening. I know that it was for me. I know there were pieces just of what I said and heard um, that were really cathartic. 
So I'm hoping that that's a shared experience for some of you listening. Next week, uh, we'll be talking about classism in the Jewish community. More will unfortunately be out for that episode. Very sad to not have her, but we will have a guest co-host, and I'm excited to introduce you all to them next week. And while I won't be a part of next week's episode, you can come fetch with them about that on Thursday, March 10th, live at, um, did you say you bumped the time up? We did bump the time up. It is going to be live at, one moment, one moment, while I pull up my calendar, live at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. 5 p.m. Eastern time. So that is a significantly earlier bump from our normal time. So just flag that if you think you might want to call in and um, come fetch with Ash and her guest co-host about, or their guest co-host about uh, classism in the Jewish community. As for tonight's episode, the recording from tonight will be posted shortly on the call-in app, and you can check the episode notes as well for um, where to find Ash, myself, Lucy's Instagram and social media platforms, as well as a link to Lucy's book. And as a reminder, 20% of the proceeds of um, Lucy's book, The Jobs of Becoming, Do Benefit Project Heal, which is an incredible organization that does so much to increase equity in eating disorder treatment. You can keep up with me and Ash directly through our various platforms. For me, that's at The Healing Happy Cook on Instagram, and you can access my Instagram community through my profile on call-in also. Great. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, most social media at Badash Therapy, and on my website at ashleymsaria.com. And we'll do our best to get the information up in the comment section as soon as possible. And a big thank you to January Sunshine for all the music provided in this episode. And the biggest of thank yous to those of you who joined us today. Thank you.